Good morning. Um, I need to first offer an apology for any rough edges around the sermon. Um, hopefully that just leave lots, leaves lots of good room for the Holy Spirit to do the work of what exactly needs to be said and what exactly you need to hear today. Um, but I also have a little bit of a good excuse for the rough edges. It was birthday week in our house, which is a pretty big deal. Um, Clementine turned six on this Tuesday. Um, and it would have been much more hectic if she were the kind of child like another daughter of mine who will remain nameless, who needs all things big and grand and had to have her entire kindergarten class at her sixth birthday party. Um, but Clementine was willing to keep things simple and um, have two girls over for a play date and dinner and cake. So as we were trying to figure out how to still make it very special while it was small, it made perfect sense that my Clementine, who loves all things tiny, um, that we would make this an all things tiny birthday party for her. Just to, just to give you an understanding of like how, how extreme she takes this, I've made this child pancakes the size of quarters before when she asked for mini pancakes. And she reprimanded me and said, Mom, these are medium. Um, <laughs> so when there is something, the true desire of her heart, the pancake that's about the size of a speck, her whole body responds, and she says, oh. Um, so there's some pictures you're going to get to see of Clementine's birthday party this week. We had mini goldfish. Um, we had a mini jug with little tiny solo cups. Um, we made mini pizzas and mini hot dogs. Um, we had a mini cake and ate it with mini forks, of course. <laughs> And she has a mini sister who she got a matching outfit with, which was a total delight to her. Um, now, Clementine is not really exceptional in her love for little things. Our faces and our voices, sometimes our whole bodies just respond to little things. Um, think about the voice you use when you talk to a baby or the face that you make that you can't control when you see a puppy. Um, if you've seen, has anybody here seen the videos of people interacting with baby elephants? If you haven't, I'm going to be really upset if you, um, during the service, check the Eagles game. But if you want to look up these videos of people and baby elephants, go right ahead. Um, it is so delightful. It actually, I so respond to these that I found myself having a dream this summer. I had to spend a lot of time in the hospital, which was not really fun. But I had a dream that the hospital introduced the concept of therapy baby elephants. And so they would bring baby elephants to your room for you to snuggle to help make your hospital stay more tolerable. Um, so there is this current obsession with tiny things. There are Instagram accounts with tens of thousands of followers of just pictures of tiny things. There are YouTube channels of how to make these tiny things. There's a whole tiny house movement where people sell everything they have and move into this um, small mobile home. Um, so why are we so enchanted by little tiny things? We seem biologically wired to react to little humans in a way that we want to protect them, um, that they're very appealing to us. And I think it's because they're not threatening. Um, they disarm us because they don't have to use power or brute strength for us to manage them. Um, they're controllable. And what's that appeal of a tiny home? If you've wanted to burn your own house down just to move into something small, it's probably because you could keep it perfectly clean and you could move it anytime you wanted to. Little things offer beauty and complexity of full-size things, but in a size that we can fully take in and that we can manage. They make us feel like we're in control. Tiny makes us feel safe and makes us feel powerful. Which brings me to what I'm going to talk about today, about what I really love about Jesus. 
Um, and what I think is so cool about Jesus is that he too really loves tiny things. But it's for the opposite reason of this reason that humans tend to be so attracted to tiny things. I think Jesus likes tiny things because they are a great way of hiding power and a great way of being able to turn power structures totally on their head. So we're going to read a scripture together that talks about a couple of tiny things um, that Jesus talks about. And this comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So first, let's just answer this basic question. You've probably heard this talked about if you've been here um, in this church before. But what does Jesus mean when he says kingdom of God? Other translations might use the phrase kingdom of heaven. And if you hear that, you might be tempted to think that Jesus is talking about this totally non-terrestrial place, this heaven that we could get to one day. Um, But really what kingdom of God is saying is so much broader and so much deeper. And it just tells us this is what things are like when God is in charge. Kingdom of God is not this faraway place that we might one day get to, but it's the here and the now, what our present reality can look like when God's rule of love God, love your neighbor is totally and perfectly enacted. Now, it's easy to hear king and kingdom and just think about a towering throne and a grand palace. And you think of a king who might just be able to, with all of their riches and all their power, just tell an army to go and crush another place and get everything under control and keep things in line the way that it should be. But when Jesus, who hails from the kingdom of God, tells us what it's like, he tells us this. It's like a teeny little seed. It's like this stuff that looks kind of like sawdust, but it's actually a fungus, and you make bread from it. Kind of weird, right? Neither of those things sound very powerful or very impressive. If God's rule and God's order and God's way of doing things is going to be accomplished, shouldn't we be looking for something more mighty than what I could hold in my hand and blow away with a puff of my breath? But Jesus, our perfect representation of what God is like, who can tell us what God's kingdom is like, the reason that he has captured my affection is because of how he loves and esteems these little things. Jesus recognizes the value and recognizes the power of little things. So let's talk a little bit about mustard seeds and yeast and figure out what they can tell us about God's kingdom. What can they can tell us about what Jesus is like? So some of the reasons we might disregard little things is that they're really easy to lose, hard to keep track of. They're easy to overlook, and we just tend to underestimate them as having much importance. But for seeds and for yeast, their smallness is exactly what's so impressive about them. They're the perfect vehicle to disguise great power. I think if we don't think seeds are all that awesome, it's just because we haven't thought about them very much. So let's think about it for a minute. A tiny seed holds the potential to become something a million times over its original size. It's dried out, it just looks dead, it can't move. And while most other living things, like people or animals, if you buried them in the ground under the dark dirt, you would be dead. 
but a seed dies and then comes back to greater in life, greater life. It knows which way the sun is and how to reach its arms to it. It knows how to have its roots grow deep down and find water. In this passage, we're told that the mustard seed grows to be a tree big enough for birds to come and perch in its branches. A single seed becomes home and becomes rest and haven for the very creatures that might have snatched it up and made it a meal out of it a few months or weeks earlier in its earlier state. So maybe that power of that mustard seed is that it is so easy to underestimate. If so much potential can be hidden in such a small vessel, then its humble beginnings are just one more facet of its power. And what about yeast? In this passage, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed with 60 pounds of flour. So um, the translators who brought this, who gave us these words in English have also done the conversion for us. Um, the original wording would have been three measures of flour. So these three measures of flour are about 60 pounds of flour. Um, this detail that Jesus chooses kind of makes you scratch your head and begs a couple of questions. One, why such a precise measurement? And two, isn't that a whole lot of flour? Isn't that a whole lot of bread? So let's answer the second question first. Yes, that is a lot of flour and a lot of bread. Um, 60 pounds is about how much an eight-year-old weighs. Um, it takes about a pound of flour to make a loaf of bread. So 60 pounds of flour would make 60 loaves of bread. Um, now, I have a bread machine, and I buy my bread flour in bulk from the warehouse club. But it's still only a 25-pound bag of flour, and it takes us a good six months at least to work through it. But now that we've established that that's indeed a lot of flour and a lot of bread, let's ask the follow-up question. Why this amount? Why this 60, 60 pounds of flour? <coughs> now, Jesus, who would have been familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, is likely reflecting back about a story from the life of Abraham, the founder of the Jewish faith. Abraham was an old man married to an old woman, and they had no children at all, although they had been promised that they would one day have a great inheritance, have more descendants than the stars in the sky and more descendants than the grains of sand on the shore. Yet, they had no children. How was this going to be? So one day, God appears to Abraham as three visitors. Desiring to show them hospitality, Abraham invites these three visitors to have a meal and instructs his wife Sarah to take three measures, again, we know, 60 pounds of flour to make bread for them. It's during this encounter that the visitors inform Abraham that by the time the next year comes, he and his wife will have their baby. Sarah overhears this, and she does what you would expect. She laughs. But then again, but then what happens is within a year when that son is born, they decide to name him Isaac, which means laughter. I'm going to be the first one to admit that there is a lot of mystery and oddness wrapped up in this parable and in the story about Abraham. It doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. It might raise as many questions as it made, gives us answers. But I think that just gives us some room to wonder and ponder and to imagine. Why did Sarah make so much bread for five people, even if three of them were God? Why did Jesus reference this story about Abraham when he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like? And why is the woman in this parable making so much bread? <laughs> it all seems really excessive. So here's the best that I can make of it as I ponder yeast and think about the kingdom of God. 
To make that 60 pounds of flour, you might need anywhere from about a cup to just shy of three cups of yeast. Now, I could very easily hold that cup to three cups here in my hands. But that flour would be too heavy for me to bear. Yet when we take this heavy, inactive flour and we work this yeast into it, when it's needed, it utterly transforms that flour. Because the yeast is a living organism. When it's activated, it bubbles and it churns, it produces gas, and it multiplies the dough to double or more its size. That once heavy flour ends up becoming light as air. In the story of Abraham, there, Abraham, there's a heaviness and there's a powerlessness of infertility. God had made a promise, but making that promise into a flesh and blood person took the entering in of something greater than themselves. Flour, meet yeast. Impossible situation, meet kingdom of God. You see, when you really think about it, that yeast, that, to say that the kingdom of God is like yeast, it's pretty incredible and it's almost too much to take in. If anything that is that heavy, that is that unbearable, can encounter the kingdom of God and be transformed and be lightened and be brought into something new, it gives us a lot of hope for all the things that we see in ourselves and all the things that we see in the world around us. It's not just about transformation, but really, isn't yeast yeast raised fresh bed pretty good? Like, can you think of anything that tastes much better than that? Tasting flour, trying to consume that by itself, it's not going to be nourishing. It's not going to be delightful. But when you add the kingdom of God and when you add that yeast in, we have something that is so delightful to our senses. The kingdom of God is also like a mustard seed. When it's pressed into the ground, when it dies, it comes back to something bigger and greater. So with this yeast and this mustard seed, Jesus personifies a person where things that appear to be a kingdom, where things that appear to be small and insignificant, like mustard seed and yeast, have the power to grow, to create, to nourish, to delight, to feed, and to protect. So there's another layer to this, Jesus saying that the kingdom of God is like yeast that I want to acknowledge As I was studying and preparing for this, I started to look up other verses in the Bible that talk about yeast. Um, And for a minute, I thought I had really screwed up um, because everything I could find was very, very contradictory to this parable. Any other time, um, the Bible talks about yeast about 40 times, and almost every other time, it's used to describe evil, sin, something that gets in there and ruins it all. Um, So I thought... Goodness, how am I going to make this work? And then I pressed into it, though. Um, Just some examples of that. Unleavened bread was always used as this holy offering to God and as a part of the meal, the Passover meal that um, celebrated when the Hebrew people were liberated from slavery in Egypt. Um, You could not offer bread as a sacrifice in the temple, and you had to have not just all unleavened bread out of your home on the Sabbath, but every trace of yeast out of your house on the Sabbath. Um, If you didn't, don't worry, the consequences weren't that bad. You just were cut off entirely from the nation of Israel. (laughs) So how does this work? That This thing that was only ever talked about as a force of corruption, now Jesus is using as an example of something good of God's kingdom. This gets to what I just really, really, really love about Jesus. It's not that he has this esteem for tiny things. 
And it's not just that he thinks they're powerful, but that he is just so beautifully subversive. Jesus was always breaking the rules that the religious people held up. He was always touching the lepers. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was breaking all of the social boundaries of his day. I wonder if the people that heard him that day, if their jaws just dropped and they were appalled when he said, you know what my kingdom is like? It's a lot like yeast. And it might be because I'm a middle child, but I have just always loved myself a good troublemaker, (laughs) especially when someone is making trouble for the cause of justice. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing and what he's expressing. He's showing us that in saying that the kingdom of God is like a seed, that it is like yeast especially, he's demonstrating the subversive nature of his power. When we think about Jesus as good and right and accurate to think about his compassion and his love, how he healed, how he's full of mercy. And it's tempting to think that because he is so merciful and that that mercy way, that that Jesus way just means he's agreeable and he's not really rustling any feathers. But really, the truth about Jesus is that he is totally willing to upset the powers that be in order to show his alignment with the outsiders, with the rejects, with the heretics, and with the powerless. Story after story after story in the Bible has Jesus rejecting the religious status quo for the sake of painting a bigger, more beautiful, more grand, more inclusive picture of God's kingdom. And it wasn't just the religious people of the day that Jesus was up against. Jesus lived at a time when the Roman Empire was in control of the land where he lived and the people that he interacted with. The Roman Empire ruled by force and by violence by intimidation. Jesus was so subversive that he not only spoke out against their violence and against their forceful ways, but he demonstrated it by not partaking in their way. He did it by showing that the way to impact and to change is nonviolence. Jesus was always saying the kinds of things that could get a person killed, and indeed, that's exactly what happened to him. He was met with a Roman execution and a death on the cross, but Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't fight back against the religious leaders. He didn't fight back against the empire. He showed that there was greater power in self-sacrifice than there is in violence. And in that planted, the seed that he planted, and in that yeast that he introduced into the recipe that 2,000 years ago has us still talking about him and following in his way today. Subvert means to sub, come from below, and vert, to turn over. So the kingdom of God, this yeast-like kingdom of God, comes in, gets mixed in, and takes things and topples them totally on their head. The kingdom of God is like a seed. When you try to put it to death, when you try to bury it under the ground, up, 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 it will come. The kingdom of God is not this heavy top-down power like the empire or like the religious leaders. It doesn't rule by force and needing to control and intimidation. It is organic and it is alive. It changes and it invigorates, invigorates and grows whatever it gets into. So the seed meets soil and produces life and makes a home for the birds of the air. The yeast meets the flower and feeds and delights many. How could you not love Jesus when you hear this about him? 
These could all just be nice observations, but what does it mean for us today? When I wrote those words, what does it mean for us today, I was writing them probably on Monday or Tuesday, and I was a little bit focused on birthday week, so just little by little, I was getting some of the news and hearing about the violence going on in our world today. And um, after I had well wrapped up all these words, then I got more horrible, earth-shattering news yesterday about the attacks in, in, on the synagogue in Pittsburgh. I think we all feel this heaviness of the empire. We all feel this heaviness of religion that is meant to control and that is meant to um, keep people a certain way and keep power structures in place. Even though we're not living in the Roman Empire, all these words from the people that were living in that time, they, they, our hearts understand that because we daily see this evidence of violence, of oppression, of a top-heavy empire and its powers at work. And it's easy to feel really powerless in the face of all that pain and death. Besides that, even on those days where things seem pretty right in the world, our individual in existence and our inner state sometimes feels heavy in that same way. We can feel powerless to forces like addiction, anxiety, depression, self-harm. What remedy and what reprieve might there be when we feel powerless within ourselves and powerless within the world? It's the hope that we find in the mustard seed and in the yeast. There is hope that the kingdom of God, that the person of Jesus, don't think that to be small is to be powerless. If you're feeling small, what are we, just one little church? What am I, just one little person? The kingdom of God is telling us we are powerful and that there's a bigger story to be told. I think there's three things that this um, parable testifies to us about what God's kingdom is like that bring a lot of encouragement. Um, the first is that the seed and the yeast whispered us this lovely secret, that you are powerful. Maybe it is that the smaller you feel, the more power you actually have. You don't have to come from a high place of status. You don't have to have wealth. You don't have to have power as the world sees it in order to be mighty and effective by the kingdom of God's rule. The transformations that you long for in yourselves and in the world around you are not depending on some king's army showing up or some law being passed or some right person being in charge. You can delight in your smallness knowing that small can be mighty in God's upside-down kingdom. Second thing, the seed and the yeast testify and tell us that we are beloved. You are are beloved. That delight that my darling Clementine responds to, the way she responds to all things tiny, that is but a sliver of the delight that your creator takes in you. You might imagine this story being written like the Bible wrote about yeast, or your own story written like the Bible wrote about yeast. Everything else that there is to be said about it, if the whole world writes a story that you get in there and you mess things up, you're small. You're not enough. Who do you think you are? Let's just get you out of here. But Jesus shows up and he says, you're powerful and I value you and you are precious in my sight. You belong. 
You are enough. If you have been skeptical about drawing near to Jesus because you think of God as a ruler, like a king who rules with with intimidation and needing to control you, if that's the story that you've been told by the religious leaders of who your God is, maybe it's time to give Jesus another look. Maybe it's worth thinking about the approachable person of Jesus who has such good and beautiful things to say about little things. Finally, the seed and the yeast remind us that we are a part of something far, far bigger than just our own story. You are a part of something far bigger than just yourself. The kingdom of God is grand and it is lofty. It is everywhere. It is, it is power and strength, but it is also present and it is imminent. It is so embedded that it cannot be teased out. Can you get yeast out of bread when it's mixed in there? Go. I wouldn't even try. When you tune into all these ways that the kingdom of God is at work and is asserting itself, all the ways that it's rising up like a yeast-raised dough, and if you put your ear to the ground and hear how it's burrowing itself into the earth and sprouting new life, you might begin to feel like you're in sync with a song that the whole universe is singing. The empire shouting, and the empire's crushing, and the empire stomping its feet, but there is another song that's being sung that we are all a part of. We're invited to be like the seed and to be like the yeast, to find hope in the smallest story of the kingdom of God being established even in the face of oppression and injustice. I'm going to offer a few ideas of ways that you can lean into these truths and let them germinate and let them activate in your own, in your own life and in your own story this week. So first of all, as we think about the mustard seed, um, I alluded to this already, but who, who likes to eat seeds? Not, not people. No, okay. Who, what, what, animals, what animals like to eat seeds? Birds. Okay. All of you that just raise your hands. I'm sorry I didn't bring any seeds for you this morning. Um, okay. Birds like to eat seeds. I think that when you picture this mustard tree with the birds resting in its branches, it is a beautiful picture and a powerful picture of the idea of loving your enemies. The birds, the very ones that would eat and destroy and consume those seeds, end up finding a home and protection and rest and haven within the branches of that mustard plant. I think that's pretty powerful. Again, the way the empire works with this violence, we think, of, um, think we have to give in to that sometimes, and we think the end result is us crushing back. But if the end result is this beautiful picture of the very ones that would crush and destroy us, finding peace and haven and hope within the kingdom of God, that's a way more beautiful picture. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, in these days, it's kind of hard for me on any given day, or it's not hard for me on any given day to think about somebody that I just might like to punch. Um, my natural desire is to be like the empire, to want to lay the smack down on some folks, especially if I've watched the news, um, if I spend too much time on Facebook, or if against all better judgment in the world, I read the comments. Don't ever read the comments. <laughs> But if you and I can operate and live out this way that Jesus works, like the mustard seed, we can intentionally take steps to love our enemies. I was recently taught about something called a meta-meditation, and I found it very, very helpful. 
Um, when I practice this, it makes such a difference in my day. Um, it's a loving kindness meditation. And while it would be great if you take some time this week to actually practice this and, and have a good set aside time, um, I'm just going to lead us in a, a very a, a kind of mini, again, a mini meta meditation right here, um, just so you can get the gist of it. And so what I want you to do is just to close your eyes right now. And I want you to picture somebody who you struggle with, somebody who you would think of as your enemy. And you can say these words out loud, or you can just say them in your mind. Think of that person and say, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be well. And again, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be well. It's not easy, but it can be so powerful to love our enemies. If we keep this up, if we take this opportunity to be like Jesus, I believe this, this little seed is going to grow up, flourishing in your inner world and bringing life and growing something new all around you. And then what's another way that we could lean into this yeasty kingdom of God? Um, you're probably wondering what that beep is. Maybe, and you might thought it, it might have thought it was just your imagination. Um, has anyone noticed it kind of smells like fresh baked bread in here? Take a good breath. It does. Um, so thanks to Andrea lending me a bread machine and, and one that a friend gave me, um, we've been baking some fresh bread in here this morning. Um, so I'm going to get that out, and we have um, we do have regularly scheduled communion, um, but we also have a couple of loaves of bread that you can. Um, you can enjoy and consume this morning. Um, I'll confess that sometimes when the communion plate passes, um, I take several. You can blame Frank. Actually, Frank, Frank's the one that taught me to do this. So <laughs> if you think that that's a horrible thing, he taught me. Because um, I just feel like I need more of Jesus. I need more than just this little piece of cracker. I need more of Jesus. Some days I feel it more than others. You may have breezed in here today and felt lighter than air, but maybe you feel really, really heavy, and you just need more of Jesus. So the plate is going to pass, and you're going to be able to get your cracker and dip it, but there's also going to be approximately four loaves of bread, two cooked last night, two that have been baking here this morning, that will be available on the table. So if you just need some more of Jesus, come and get a hunk, all right? If you need to break bread with somebody this week and talk with them and say, I need a different way, I need this Jesus way, I'm so angry, I'm so, I feel so powerless, whatever way that you're feeling, break bread with someone else and find a way forward where you can, um, you can see that this power is at work within you and um, you can feel that encouragement and that nourishment and that, um, that power that you need. I'm going to say a prayer for us. God, we feel heavy in ourselves and in our world. We see you and we think you are beautiful and we love you and we love being loved by you. But we're broken and we're angry and we're afraid because of what we see in this world. So we ask, would you and your kingdom rise up? 
where you already are, where you are already planted, where you are already at work, continue in that way. And give us eyes to see so that we can be encouraged, so that we can move forward, so that we can care for ourselves and our families and take the steps through our day and these steps through our life. They're going to bring more and more and more and more people into this place of haven and rest that the mustard tree provides. And more and more and more people nourished and delighted by the bread of life. God, let this be like a day of small beginnings. That little steps and little seeds and little bites of bread broken together would grow up to be your kingdom. Your kingdom turning the darkness upside down. Your kingdom bringing light where there's darkness and life where there's death. Food where there's hunger. All the things that we need, would you do that? Would you accomplish it in us? Would you accomplish it through us? We give ourselves to you in hope. Amen. I think Emily's going to come up and share from the prayer team, and the worship team can also come up to join her.